Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Thursday episode of the Commute Podcast, we're joined by Rebecca Rolfus of the League of Women Voters of Coastal Georgia to prep us for the runoffs as well as a look ahead to the upper elections. The Commute is brought to you by National Office Systems. Hello and welcome to the Commute Podcast. This is Zach Dennis sitting in just to introduce you to this episode. Adam Van Brimmer is on interview duties. Uh, on today's episode, we have Rebecca Rolfus with the League of Women Voters of Coastal Georgia to prep us for Tuesday's runoff elections. Uh, we have three happening in uh, Chatham County uh, and Savannah. And so we talk, they talk a little bit about that and then prep us for the, the races coming up in October uh, or in November, excuse me. Um, such as the governor's race, uh, a number of the other statewide races, and um, things of that nature, as well as the U.S. House race here in, uh, in Chatham County. Um, but real quick before we get to that interview, let's talk about our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. So we're, we're here in the office right now. We have a bunch of National Office Systems stuff in here. It's so, I mean, I could sleep in here. Not just because I'm tired and I was in what felt like 150 degree weather today, but also the, the, the office stuff is so, it's just so comfortable. And that's because of National Office Systems. They uh, partner with uh, Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Furniture, as well as, and get this, office furniture heads, Knoll. Knoll and National Office Systems, together finally. You can learn more at natoffsys.com. That's N-A-T-O-F-F-S-Y-S.com. Now... Let's get to the interview between Adam and Rebecca. Pleased to be joined on the commute today by Rebecca Rolfus, who is the past president of the League of Women Voters of Coastal Georgia. And if Rebecca is on, that must mean an election is near. And sure enough, <laughs> I, I don't know how many people actually realize it, but we do have a runoff election next week. It will largely involve the Democratic voters, but there are a couple of nonpartisan issues. If you live in uh, Savannah Chatham County School District 5. You have a pretty key race for your district rep. And then at the countywide, we also have a judicial seat and a recorder's court up. But for the most part, we're looking at uh, four statewide races for Democratic um, constitutional officers, including uh, Lieutenant Governor and Secretary of State. And then here in coastal Georgia, the U.S. House race between Joyce Marie Griggs and Wade Herring, which is the one that really fascinates me. And we're going to circle back to that. But Rebecca, let's start with a runoff. Runoffs are always kind of tricky. Uh, two years ago for the Senate runoffs, we saw a huge turnout. But then again, I think that was a special. That was the exception to the rule. We're probably looking at that pretty poor turnout next week. What uh, what can we do to maybe get some folks fired up and, and think <laughs> about getting out there next Tuesday? Um, <clears throat> well, I think that. The runoffs are largely on the Democratic side of the ticket for all of the all of those races you just mentioned. So the question in Democratic voters' minds is who can beat the Republican uh, in most cases? 
Well, except for lieutenant governor. In most cases, that is the incumbent. Yes. So the incumbent not only has got the party advantage, but also you would think has some name recognition that the Democrats will be looking to make up. Um, <clears throat> so one would hope, I mean, in terms of getting out the vote, that the Democrats would show out and up in great numbers. Uh, I don't know that Republicans are going to be that interested in this at all. And as you said, the turnout before we started the primary, the turnout in the primary was about even, you know, 25,000 for one party, 27,000 for the other party. Um, so if you if you lop off 25,000 who voted Republican, you're only going to get 27,000 people voting in Chatham County. At the moment. Um, I do think that there are some, <clears throat> for most of these races, some clear front runners, mm -hmm. um, especially for insurance and for so, uh, Secretary of State, you know, the, the people just barely below 50%. And so you have to think that they have the edge going into the runoff. For District 1, for our U.S. representative, it's a little more of a toss-up. Yeah. You know, we had three candidates which you have to think split some votes. And if all of those voters who voted for Michelle Monroe go for Wade Herring, then he would win. Same, of course, is true for um, Joyce Marie Griggs. If you split, I mean, Michelle Monroe got 17% of the vote. So if you split that up, it really is a toss up as to who's going to edge out over 50%. Right. And how many of those that cast votes for either Herring or Griggs are, are going to come out again? I guess exactly. That's, exactly. That's, right. That's really the that's really the key question. And it's it's interesting because you talked about the whole idea of um, finding people on the state ballot that are going to be able to take on the incumbents. I think that's why you saw Stacey Abrams go ahead and endorse people oh, gosh, for primary right. runoff, because I think she is looking at trying to build the strongest ticket that she can for November. And she looks at candidates like B. Nguyen, who's running for mm -hmm. secretary of state, and says that is uh, that is the candidate I think can help me the most. And I thought that right. was kind of an interesting development and maybe one that a lot of people didn't didn't grasp when it happened. Right. I mean, I know that when Stacey Abrams ran last time, I saw her at her campaign event here, you know, a bigger rally and um, instead of these little pop up. She pops up here and there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm going to need so-and-so when I get to the state house. I'm going to need so-and-so. So very strong endorsements down the Democratic side of the ticket, um, none of which worked. Right. So you always have to wonder how much cred um, endorsements, especially from an individual. I tend to think I could be totally wrong here, but I tend to think that endorsements from organizations carry more. I'm endorsed by the NRA. I'm endorsed by Planned Parenthood. That gives me the voter a really pre pretty in clear indication of what it is you stand for and kind of a louder voice than any one individual, even if they are, you know, a, a, their party's nominee for a given race. So I'm like you, I'm not sure what that did, but it was interesting that she came out so early with them. To tie off the whole question of turnout and runoff, I know one thing that that may have uh, it, it's an idea that that we are using in Georgia for some of the overseas ballots is, is ranked choice voting, where 
mm-hmm. when you go to vote in the primary, you not only vote for who do you think you should win, you vote for who your second choice is just in case it goes into a runoff. And maybe even on down, you're more familiar than I am. I don't know if you put three on there or just two, but when we look at this and like you said, 27,000 Democrats came out uh, for the primary. I, if we get half of those back out next week, I'm going to be surprised. So to me, it makes more sense to do the ranked choice voting in terms of getting a, a more um, a more accurate sampling size rather than have the runoff four weeks later. Is that kind of what the, the league is thinking? Well, absolutely. That's what the league is thinking, but also the savings. I mean, putting on statewide elections is expensive. Right. Um, not to mention the armies of volunteers you need in terms of people to be in at the polling places and ballot counters afterwards and all of that kind of thing and more absentees and more deadlines and, uh, you know, it's just complicated stuff. And so the ranked choice thing since, I mean, any runoff, maybe in a very highly contested general election, but any runoff usually has abysmal turnout. So why put ourselves through the effort, the expense, and the difficulty of of doing it twice. Back to your point of how many you can put on there, it may depend on state law, but a good place to look right now is Alaska. So Alaska has ranked choice voting. Sarah Palin is running to be their one and only House representative. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were five, if I'm not mistaken, maybe six candidates And so they're in the process of whittling those down because a lot of them are in that 25, 28% thing. Mm -hmm. But this being Alaska, there is a guy whose name is Santa Claus, legal name, first name (laughs) Santa, last name Claus, no no known middle name, who actually got 5.8% of the vote. So, you know, you you can whittle this down pretty much. And as you, I mean, rank, the way ranked choice works is you just kind of move up and move up and move up until, you know, the one who got 25%, those votes go to the guy who got 28% and on down and on down until you come up with a winner. And so it's just a arithmetic problem and you forego the time, expense, trouble, and sort of uh, fool's errand of trying to get people to go to, back to the polls a month after they were just there. Yeah. It's also 98 degrees down here. Right. right. A lot of right. people not real anxious to stand in line out there and who can blame them? Yeah. Yeah. The only the only thing that the only drawback I see with that is the whole idea of, of letting our legislature do any more voting reforms is this kind of scares me because when they tend to go down that road, they tend to go maybe a little bit further than most people intended, but that's a discussion for good point for another point. day. Um, yeah. Let's talk about this house race. I'm, I've written about it. I'm fascinated by this. You have Wade Herring, an attorney in Savannah, who has uh, raised a, for somebody who has not taken any money other than from individual donors, he's raised a lot of money, over $500,000. Very, he's trying to pretend he's not, but he's a a relative centrist, moderate Democrat. Uh, Mm -hmm. He is running against Joyce Marie Griggs, who has raised less than $3,000 if her financial disclosures are accurate, which we will assume they are. She, of course, has run twice. Uh, she has run twice previously and, and lost twice previously and really is 
just has not put up much of a much of a fight. And here you have the incumbent is Buddy Carter, who is maybe as vulnerable now as he's ever been. I think a lot of people, uh, his stance on January 6th, where he voted against certifying the election, alienated a lot of people, uh, just about everybody that's not on the on the Trump train on the far right was was at least raised some eyebrows over Buddy doing that. So here we are in an election and Joyce Marie Griggs gets 48 percent of the vote, almost wins without a runoff. And I sit here and scratch my head and and have to wonder, is that a is that a weight hearing failing to connect is what's and she won every county. It wasn't like it was right. right. It was it just it was across the board. So when you look at this race, what what do you see? Uh, do you see it as a as a failure on Herring's part? And, and if so, does he have a chance to turn that around next week? Well, that's an excellent question. And like I said before, you have to think that Michelle Monroe was the wrench in the in the works there and split off some people who might have voted for Wade Herring, might have voted for Joyce Marie Griggs, who knows? And that's what the runoff will show. Um, back to your point about a lot of people were alienated by what Buddy Carter did. I mean, starting with Wade Herring, right. you know, he does the very high profile op-ed in the Savannah Morning News, which was picked up nationally. And this just, I mean, anger and, and righteous indignation. So back to the who can beat Buddy Carter. I mean, if you're a Democrat, that's that's more what you're looking for is who can beat Buddy Carter. And I think Joyce McGree, Joyce Marie Griggs has proved that she can't. She can't beat him. And she definitely can't beat him with only three thousand dollars. If Buddy doesn't have anything else, he has a very big war chest and he will have another one this time. So a small time seat of the pants kind of campaign, which which is what Griggs has run the last two times. Um, she gets attention. Absolutely. Um, she whatever she says, she says at maximum volume. So you do tend to hear her when she's coming. Um, but she's not um, she in my opinion, she doesn't do a very good job of laying out what it is she stands for and what it is she's going to do partially because she has to spend so much time fending off the the bad credibility problems she's had in the past. In terms of Wade Herring connecting with voters, I have been surprised. And I mean, I, I don't know Wade well, but I've known him a long time. I've seen him do a lot of things. And he is, he's smart, he's personable, he's approachable and so forth. But as a candidate making speeches, I keep looking and saying, where did that other guy go? Right. He's not coming across the way I, actually that I think he is <laughs> in, in real life. And I, I don't know what that is. Nerves, right. maybe. Right. Um, Afraid I of making would, a mistake. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I am. I am afraid, you know, that if Greg's is the nominee again, Buddy will get reelected even though a lot of people are going to have to hold their nose while they do it. Yes. So, you know, I'm hoping that he has a better challenger than yeah. he has had the last two times out. Yeah. And I, I just don't think Joyce Marie Griggs is it. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm rooting. I, I don't really, whoever gets, whoever wins, whoever wins, but I want to see a competitive race. I want to see, mm-hmm. I want to see a, a real debate over the direction that coastal Georgia is going. I mean, obviously right. I'll cast the ballot for who I think is best, but for me as, as a citizen and as a voter, I just, I want to see a real race and not see what we've seen out of the past with Joyce Griggs. 
Of course, you may surprise us. Hmm? Possible. We, we may I mean, find out. When, when Buddy Carter ran against Lisa Ring, mm-hmm. uh, the League of Women Voters had a candidate forum. They both participated. Yeah. Um, and the difference was was stark. You know, Buddy is a conservative Republican. OK, fine. She is a progressive Democrat, a lot lefter leaning, if you will. Yeah, Bernie, and, Bernie Sanders kind of. Right, Democrat. exactly. Bernie Sanders. And Wade Herring is much more of a centrist. So I think Wade and Buddy could have a really substantive debate right. over realistic options for coastal Georgia. Whereas what Lisa Ring was talking about was. I mean, this is coastal Georgia. This is, it was just a bridge too far. Right. People just aren't there yet. I mean, the other thing we haven't mentioned, which needs to be mentioned is, is there a racial vote? Joyce Marie Griggs is a black woman yeah. and Wade Herring is a white man. Right. There may be voter, not maybe, there are certainly voters out there who don't really know anything about either one of them. And they're going to be, they're going to vote on appearances, whether it is gender or race. And that's just a fact that no amount of campaigning can can overcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. And uh, I hope we may get to a day someday where it's, it's less about that, but I don't think we're there yet. So We're going to take a quick break right here to talk a little bit about the Savannah Morning News and subscribing to Savannah Morning News at savannahnow.com. Right now, it is a dollar for six months to subscribe to what we see, and I mean, I'm biased in this situation, but the best local coverage of Savannah anywhere. Um, Right now, we have our big project diving into the Forsyth Park Master Plan. They have finally completed, the Friends of Forsyth Group have finally completed that plan, and we have a a number of stories and in-depth looks at what the new plans look like, what this means for Savannah, what would a conservancy group look like, and who is this group that wants to change the the you know famous park here in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we have all of that and more at savannahnow.com, so please support local journalism and subscribe after you read this journalism that is, uh, I think, just high-quality stuff. Um, again, you can go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now to learn more. And now, back to Rebecca and Adam. The other races on the ballot, uh, uh, recorder's court judge, not very sexy. <laughs> A lot of people don't know the difference between what the recorder's court judge does and what others do. And then, of course, one school board uh, seat, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, those are both there's not an incumbent in that race. So we're, yeah. we've got two newcomers. So you have four, two judge candidates, two school board candidates that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about. How much does that play into people going to the polls next week? None. I mean, none, really. If you have children in the school system, you may feel very strongly about school board in general, regardless of district. And certainly if you have children in the school system in that district, district. you're going to care a lot. The rest of us, they have no name recognition and we don't know. And, and not, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say we don't care, but you don't feel like it's going to impact you. So it's going to have no impact on people turnout for sure. And those are the sorts of down ballot races that even the people who go to the polls leave blank. Yeah. Yeah, they or don't they, know who to vote for, so they, they just leave it. 
or they just check a box, which is even worse. Exactly right. Which is back to the voting on appearances. Right. Oh, I like her name. You know, <laughs> something is like betting on a horse. Right. Um, so I don't think that drives any votes at all, any turnout at all. And whatever numbers for total turnout are, the, the vote numbers in those two races will be even smaller. Let's take one minute and project ahead to November past the runoff. And, and I want to talk about it from this instance is some of these outside issues and policies. It seems like we've got a bunch of them coming right now, right? If Obviously, midterm is usually a referendum on the party in power anyway. So you're going to throw in inflation in the economy, which we really don't know which way it's going to go between now and November. It might get a little bit better, but it might also get a little bit worse. And it very well could stay the same. Uh, we probably have a, a Supreme Court ruling coming down on Roe versus Wade. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of we got school shootings, mass shootings. It's just a lot of these hot button issues that are top of mind with voters that are going to play out between now and November. What are you watching and, and what are you what do you think those issues are going to do in terms of turnout for a midterm election that midterms are not not nearly as big as presidential years. But if with these issues on the table, do you see that driving turnout in November higher for for both parties? Um, yes, I, I do. Turnout will be higher. Um, and how you say this about an election, I mean, it will be more overtly partisan. It is always a mistake to vote on a single issue. I am pro-choice, I am pro-life, and I don't care what else you say about anything else, that's, that's who I'm voting for. That's always a mistake. Right. Government and politics is just way too complicated to, to think of it in so simplistic a terms. The, the fact of the matter is election in and election out, people vote with their wallets. To me, the number one issue is going to be the economy. And that is the whole ball of stuff, inflation, interest rates, gas prices, taxes, all of it. People vote with their wallets. You know, the famous Bill Clinton mantra, it's the economy, stupid, stupid, which at this point, and I have to say, I don't think through any fault of his own, it means that the Democrats are going to lose the midterm. As you say, it's almost always a referendum on the party in power. And right now, people are very angry at the party in power, Uh, even though, you know, Joe Biden has reunited the Western Defense Alliance and, you know, done some good things. I just drove home from Kentucky where gas is five dollars a gallon and probably going up. So that's going to be the number one thing. The Supreme Court comes out with whatever ruling it comes out on for Roe versus Wade. Well, we can't vote for that. Right. I mean, unless one or more of the justices retires, there's going to be no Supreme Court appointments for a long time. So we're stuck with what we're stuck with. That's going to be a state. That's going to be more of a state election issue, right? Correct. That is going to be driven down to the state level and is going to be a battle 50 states by 50 states. The other big issue, I think, after the economy, more than Roe versus Wade, is going to be mass shootings and gun control. So um, the gun issue, the safety issue, the policing issue, again, a big ball of things that get conflated with each other. Um, And some of that, again, is state legislation. I mean, we have constitutional carry in Georgia now, 
<clears throat> we no longer have a red flag law in Georgia now. So as a citizen of Georgia, does that make you feel safer or less safe? In which case you're going to be maybe more focused on who is running locally for the Georgia legislature than who is running for Senate, House, all of, all of those kinds of seats. It does make, <clears throat> excuse me, I have been editing a weekly newsletter for the league. It goes to all of our members around the state and, and interested parties. It's called Election Year 2022. Mm-hmm. And we're just we're following, we're a nonpartisan organization, so we don't follow candidates, we follow campaigns. Here's where your candidate is speaking, go hear them, go meet them, make up your own mind. So that's, that's what the coverage is. Um, right now, because we are still in a runoff, this happens early before you get a nomination. Early campaigning is always about hyperbole. It's about getting attention, And so it lends itself to bumper sticker politics. It's just sort of slogans and mottos without a whole lot of detail and specifics behind it. So you can talk about guns like you talk in bumper stickers without ever saying what it is you're actually going to do about it. And that just certain voters pick up on that. So, okay, she's on my side. He's on my side because I agree with this bumper sticker. I put that on my truck, you know, kind of thing. And you have to wait until November. I mean, the contrast here, think about the campaign ads that Brian Kemp ran last time. Right. And the campaign ads he's running this time. Last time, he's loading up the pickup truck to drive to the border and get himself some illegals. He's pointing a gun at a teenage boy. Now he's running on his record. Right. Statesman, governor, all the good things I've done for you. Well, some of these, you know, down, no, no name recognition candidates, they're in that get some attention hyperbole mode. And so that's, we got to wait for this runoff to happen until we know who the actual candidates are. And then all of that hyperbole will tamp down and they will be held to specifics and debates and by journalists and we'll get to have a much better picture of what it is they actually say they're going to do. We learned a long time, the league learned a long time ago as we do forums. Don't ask a candidate, where do you stand on issue X? Mm-hmm. Say, what are the two or three things you're going to do about issue right. X? Right. Give me something I can hang on to instead of a bumper sticker. Right. Well, in that regard, I wish we could fast forward to October right now but we won't we will look forward to a runoff next week and then we will recalibrate for the fall uh, rebecca thanks so much for taking the time today to meet with us uh, to meet to, to join the commute and uh, thanks for all the good work that the league does and we'll look forward to the fall you're welcome it's always a pleasure adam And that'll put a wrap on the thursday episode of the commute hopefully you are now geared up and ready to head to the polls and vote in the runoff election that is currently is currently in early voting and will be uh, finalized on Tuesday. So go to the polls either the rest of this week or Tuesday. Um, if you would like to find more Commute episodes, find our archives on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, all the different stuff. But you can also find stuff on savannahnow.com as well. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful long weekend and a happy Juneteenth. 
and we will see you on Tuesday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.